This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture for today is from Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. You can find that on page 812 of your pew Bible. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Good morning. Hey, my name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to be with you all this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are all powerful, you are all sustaining, you're all wise, you are fully good in your personhood, you are all righteous, all loving, you're all of those things. And here we just read that you invite us to come to you over and over and over and over and over again, it's like you're trying to convince us that you're all of those things and yet, like it wouldn't be presumptuous for us to come to you, to come to you with our need, to express our need. You won't shrug us away. You're not busy. Your ears aren't clogged up. You're not, you won't like shame us for it. You won't make us feel bad about it. You won't rub our nose in it. You want us to come to you. Like how marvelous, how stunning, how flabbergasting that reality is that you're you're all sustaining, all powerful, all loving, and you love it when we come to you over and over expressing our need. I was thinking about this passage and how this is a way that is very different between me being a dad and you being our father. I'm raising my kids to launch them out to be independent and self-sustaining mature adults. You, that is not your goal with us. You'll never launch us out to be independent. We will forever see you as father. We will always and forever depend on you. We will always and forever relate to you in our need. You created us that way and you long for us to come to you over and over so that you can sustain, so that you can give, so you can distribute grace and new mercies, so that you can give all the good things to us. It's unbelievable. So God, would you like capture us with that this morning? Capture us not with our need, but with the goodness of our Father. God, would you like press that into us? Would you 
um, reorient us around the reality that you hear, you love us, and you long to sustain us and to meet us and to provide for us because you're a good father. God, we, we, we pray that you would show us that reality, that you would help us see it, that you would help us orient our lives in that way this morning. In your name, amen. Okay. So we've spent several months now walking through the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus's most famous teachings. Um, and, and we've said um, that Jesus is teaching on what it means to live the good life. If you wanna be deeply satisfied as a human, like if you want to live the good life, if you wanna be deeply satisfied, if you want to live whole, if you wanna know what it means to live a meaningful and fulfilled life, then Jesus just lays it out for you in this sermon. Um, sermon by sermon, we've been walking through that, unpacking Jesus's teaching. And at the end of chapter six, Jesus exhorts us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and to order our lives according to his ways. And we warned you ahead of time uh, before we jumped into some of these teachings that Jesus was gonna say some hard words to us, that there would be challenging things for us to receive. And no doubt we've, we've walked through some of that. But what also has happened is we've been drawn in by his teaching. Like maybe I'm just speaking for me, but maybe you've experienced this too, that you've been drawn in and attracted to much of what Jesus has laid out before us. Like his values and his virtues are just simply astounding in the Sermon on the Mount. His call to self-sacrificing lifestyle for the sake of others makes us wanna be like him. Like his principled tone that Jesus takes throughout his sermon is like otherworldly. Like how about his teaching that demonstrates his uncompromising purity? And have you been drawn in by his emphasis on an untarnished truth, his unwavering and farsighted faith and his win winsome freedom from like this judgmental mentality? Like Jesus' sermon has gotten us, many of you, re-engaged and leaning in and asking what it looks like to pursue his kingdom in a fresh way. No doubt some of you are leaning in and excited and experiencing maybe even like this catharsis of, that you could take as a sign of like spiritual growth or spiritual vitality in your life. Perhaps you're attending here more regularly on a Sunday. Maybe you've taken up some, um, our call to grab some of these books out here to take up praying more regularly and getting in his word. Maybe you're showing up and leaning in more into your community group. You're more concerned even with trying to apply these things into your life. And it's right here that Jesus knows that our ambition, this newfound like desire and excitement to go after his kingdom, our desire to walk this wholehearted obedience to his commandments and his teachings will create many new challenges and dynamics in our lives that for some, for some, will cause them to fizzle out. You see, there is this reality, and no doubt many of you have seen it, the person who hears the words of Jesus, excited about what it means to run after the things of his kingdom, but when met with the reality when met with hard things in your life, when met with bad circumstances and challenges that come up when you try to faithfully follow the instructions of Jesus, they flicker once or twice and then they eventually sputter out. It's as if they bloomed quickly in a rocky place without much depth of soil. The seed of the truth falls into the soil and grows quickly, but grows for no other reason than the soil being so shallow. 
But when the full heat of summer comes, when the sun pelts down its searing rays and the plants, um, you know, springs up and its young roots take root, there's nowhere for them to go for deep nourishment. And the plant is scorched and it withers and it dies. Or in Jesus's words, just a few more chapters beyond this, in Matthew 13, Jesus says, what was sown on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And here's my question. When the bad things happen, when you're met with resistance, when hard circumstances come, when relational tension will rise up in your life, what's the difference between the person who receives and perseveres in following Jesus and the person who fades away? What's the difference between the person who perseveres in following Jesus and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and his person or the person who withers away with the heat and withdraws and eventually fades out? Last week, we saw that Jesus anticipates that we will face hard relational tensions and fallout. He knows that if you're faithful to his teachings, if you pursue this kind of kingdom ethic, ethic that you will eventually be wronged. You will be judged. You will experience uh, relational brokenness. And the road ahead is marked with relational grief and tension. And how are you going to respond underneath that? How are you gonna respond when the hard things of life come? I mean, that's what we're gonna walk through this morning. I've got three points that we're gonna walk through. The first one is to come to him. The second is to receive from him. And the third is to trust in him. How do you respond? Come to him, receive from him, and trust in him. Let's jump into that. Um, we'll begin at verse seven. So Jesus immediately follows his warning about judging others by being judged by others, by telling us to come to him. Look at verse seven if you've, if you've closed your Bibles. Open those back up. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I think it's important for us right from the jump to like, Mark that Jesus seems to want to overwhelm us with this invitation, right? He, he wants to overwhelm you with this invitation to come to him. Three times he says to come to him. Or, or if you would hear it in a loving way, Jesus commands you to pray to him three times, to ask him for what you most need. It's the number of times that he invites us that should get our attention here. He wants to convince you. This repetition is meant to say, hey, I really mean this. Hey, I, I, really, I really want you to come to me. I really mean this. I want you to come and ask your father for what you most need. Come and seek your father for what you need. Come knock at the door of your father's house so that he will open and give to you what you most need. Ask me, seek me knock at my door. I invite you three times because I really want you to come and get the help that you need from your father. Come to me. Do you go to him? Like that's the question that each of us should be asking right now. Like, do I go to him? What does it say about us? What does it say about us if we're not characterized by going to our heavenly father? What does it say about us as a church? If we're not characterized as a church for regularly, regularly and perpetually going to our Father in prayer. By and large, Christians and the Christian churches in the West are not often characterized by prayer. 
right? Like we, we talk about it, we'll preach about it, we'll say things about it, but your, our time isn't oriented around it, your budgets aren't oriented around it, our weeks aren't oriented around it. What does it say about us? The world we live in is in a hustle, right? We love to get things done. We love making things run smoothly. We love being efficient. We love organization. We love institutions and self-confidence and achievement. The world we live in loves giving new opinions and progression in our church and our families and our lives are too often conformed to that environment. The pressure and the environment around us often conforms us. And we're often moving at such a pace and at a rhythm that it's difficult to see how our lives are so much different from the neighbors around us who also want a good life, want to be nice, want to be moral, want to live a meaningful life. And as you've been hearing the Sermon on the Mount over and over, what raises to the surface in your soul in hearing Jesus's sermon? Is it, man, I'm gonna crush this. Is it, I can do that. I can accomplish that. There are some who hear his words and get hot in a moment, but when things get tough, they withdraw and eventually fade out. What went wrong with those people? Somehow in hearing Jesus's sermon, they have missed the significance of Jesus's first beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Somehow they've heard the beauty and the significance of Jesus's teaching and desire to live by it by their own self-determination and their own recently like stimulated ideals of what that would look like. Somehow they've taken Jesus's words and his commands and they've set themselves to obey them by themselves. So, so when faced with troubles in their lives, with their own failures, um, they, they aim and turn to like turn over a new leaf. They, they, they adjust by pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps or by like dialing the effort up to try harder and to double down. No wonder they eventually become discouraged and burn out. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't, don't react like that. Don't, don't do that. Hearing my words puts you in a state of need. So come to me come to me. Like you, you can't do this. You have needs. So come and be dependent on me. Have a burning desire to pursue me in my ways by regularly coming to me and bringing that to me so you can receive the grace that you need. What is it that you need? Like really, like what do you need right now? What do you lack? James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. But what is, like, what, what is it that you need and what do you bring to God? This isn't an asking like he's like some kind of cosmic butler that's gonna give you what you think is best or seeking him so that you can have something else or knocking so that he can like give you some kind of get out of jail free card with whatever circumstance you're walking through. What are we asking? It is an asking for him and his grace to make us and to form us more and more into his kingdom people. It is a seeking for God to do this in us. It is a knocking at heaven's door to persistently and regularly have him shape us into his people because we are needy and we need him to make us more into what he wants us to be. Remember, Jesus laid out for us the eight beatitudes, the markers of a good life that he's inviting us into. He says, the kingdom of heaven requires a poverty of spirit. 
It requires a purity of heart and purity of truth. He says, my kingdom requires righteousness and compassion, a spirit that isn't retaliatory or, or it requires a life of integrity. You and I lack all of these things. We lack every single one of these things. So ask him for it. Ask him for it. That's the point. Ask him for these things. When the trouble comes, when the difficulty strikes, when the conflict happens, don't you lack being kind? <laughs> don't you lack being slow to anger? Don't you lack being patient and self-controlled and gentle and compassionate and all of these things? If you want perseverance, then get asking him for those things. If you want perseverance in living this life, ask him for these sorts of things, for that relationship, in raising kids, in your marriage, at work, when relational conflict happens. Are you as holy and meek and truthful and loving and pure in heart and as obedient to God as you would like to be? Then ask him for the grace that these virtues would be multiplied in your life. Ask him to grow those things in you. Ask him to make those things happen in you. You cannot do it on your own because it requires humility. To ask for anything requires that you see yourself in need, right? Or you wouldn't ask. Are you asking? What does that say about the way you see yourself? Jesus addressed this already. If you're more concerned with walking around and trying to get the speck out of other people's eyes, then you're not likely to see the plank in your own eye. Therefore, you're not likely to see your own spiritual bankruptcy and your personal inability to conform to his kingdom. But when you come to him and ask out of your need, well, then you're already taking steps of repentance and faith. You're already taking steps of poverty of spirit and trying to be pure in spirit. And already then God is blessing and giving you what you need. And persistence is required here, right? Like coming to him time and time again, going to him over and over, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, ask and seek and knock and keep doing it because it will grow in you the kind of faith independence that you long for. It will grow those virtues in you. And it will also, um, the other reason why you go to him over and over and over is because you're not praying for one isolated event in your life, right? You're not coming to him just so that he can answer one prayer in an isolated event of your life. This isn't about asking him to remove a difficult situation from your life. This is about how he, uh, he can enable you and grace you with the endurance to stand up under and be faithful to, the kind, to him in the midst of the situation that you're walking through. This is about faithfulness to him. For that, you need help. You need his help, so ask for it. Jesus wants to overwhelm you with the reality that you can come to him. You can come to him over and over and over again. Then receive from him. That's our next point. There's this unavoidable correlation in asking. If you ask to receive what you need, you cannot receive unless God gives it to you. In other words, you can't earn your way here. You can't earn your way. And you don't have to because he promises to give it to you. Not only does he invite you to come to him and to ask of him, what's even better and even more amazing are the promises that he gives freely. Jesus makes seven promises in these few verses. 
Like, let's highlight those. Jesus makes seven promises to, in a sense, try to convince you of this, that he is willing, he is listening, he is ready to respond. Let's look at verse one, or uh, not verse one, verse seven. Let's start at verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. There's three. For everyone who asks, receives. There's four. And the one who seeks, finds. That's five. And the one who knocks, it'll be opened. That's six. And then at the end of verse 11, how much more will your father who's in heaven, number seven, give good things to those who ask him. Seven promises. The asker receives, the seeker finds, the knocker gets the door opened. Your father will give to you. Surely the point of Jesus making here, the the point that he's trying to overwhelm us with is that he is ready to lavishly give us good things. He is ready to like fulfill these promises. Be encouraged to come to him and ask him because you have a father who's got a disposition to give. Jesus's promises here serve as like this antidote to this danger of withering away in a rocky soil. If you're young in the faith, if you like strongly desire to pursue his kingdom, or maybe you've been like reinvigorated by Jesus's words through this, this season, you long to go hard after his kingdom and to apply his kingdom ethic to your life and orient your life in obedience to go hard after the things of God. First off, I only wanna encourage you and fan that flame. I think that's right, that's godly, that's good. But catch this, the progression in his kingdom, growing in maturity into these sorts of things that Jesus is inviting us into cannot be attained apart from him. They can't be attained apart from him. They can't be attained apart from his grace. And if that's true, if it's true that you can't grow into the maturity of his kingdom apart from him and his grace, then nothing is more critical than having a perpetual and regular pursuit of God's grace in your life. Nothing's more critical for you than to go to him, asking for him to grow those things in you. It requires persistence then. It seems that Jesus is telling us there are times and seasons though that will require more persistence. Like there's different seasons we walk through. Ask, seek, knock. Why does he name each of those? Well, when one of my kids wants something from me and I'm just sitting right next to them on the couch, then they just ask me for it and I give it to them because I'm sitting right there. But if one of my kids wants something from me and I'm in the house somewhere, but I'm not immediately in the same room as them, maybe they can't see me in the room, they have to get up and look for me, right? They have to go through the house. Where is dad? I need something from him. And maybe I'm not in the first five rooms that they check, right? But eventually they find me and I hear them, and I meet their need. Or perhaps they're looking for me throughout the house. They can't find me in the house and eventually find me in my bedroom behind a closed door. What do they do then? They have to knock. Maybe they have to knock a few times because I don't hear them. And then I come to the door and I meet their need. The point here seems to be that there are times when God feels very, very close to us right? Many of us have experienced this. Like God, like you, you could just like reach out and touch him. He's with you. He's present. He's, um, he feels very intimate and present with you. But Christianity is not some temporary high to be assumed or discarded at will according to the level of like excitement or discouragement that you're having in the moment. 
because there are times when God doesn't feel very present to you. There are seasons that seem hard to, uh, seem hard to find him and difficult uh, to see him in the moment. Or if it can be like uh, moments where there's, feels like there's barriers between you and God, right? Many of us have walked through seasons where it's like, you ask yourself the questions, where is God? Does he see me? Um, and it takes persistence and uh, seeking. And there seems to be barriers between us. There will be failures and setbacks and even opposition. But if you persistently come to him, if you persistently set yourself to pursue him and to come to him over and over, when you ask, it won't be in vain. It won't be in vain. He's ready to respond positively toward you. God is not toying with you. He's always ready to respond to you. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter in some sense the level of encouragements I'm giving you and even all the challenges that I've given you up until this point in the sermon to come to him and ask him and to re- want to receive from him. Like the level of challenges I give you this morning and encouragements will fall on like deaf ears. They won't matter to you if you do not view your heavenly father in a trusting relationship. Like all of this is dependent on how you see your heavenly father. And Jesus knows that, which is why that's where he goes next. See, it's actually critical for you to see that your response in the midst of difficulty all has to do with how you see God. Let me ask you, how do you see God when you're smacked in the face with difficulty? Like the thing that you've avoided or the thing that um, you didn't want to have happen, when, when, that, when that wells up in your life, how does that affect the way you see God? You see, you will frame your requests to God based upon what you believe to be the nature of his character. But before we jump into Jesus's picture of the nature of his heavenly father, let's look at a few ways that we could view God that will negatively affect the way we approach him. Would you flip over to James chapter four? That's to the right in your Bible. James chapter four, verse one. This passage actually has a lot of similarities with our current passage. Uh, it has a lot of like overlap with Matthew 7, 1 through 11. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? So here, here's what it is. Your passions are at war within you. You desire things and you don't get them. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. What causes these disruptions? What causes these fights? What, what, what makes these things happen out on the surface? Because there's things going, do- going on under the surface. There's things going on inside of you. There's desires and passions, things you want. Some of them may be like uh, disordered or wrong wants. Some of them might be... F- Uh, good wants, normal wants. But the problem isn't that they're there. The problem is that you have those passions within you and then you desire to have them. And when you don't get them from another person, you make them pay for that, 
right? There's things going on in us. There's quarrels and fights. Why is this happening? Because these fights and ha- uh, quarrels are happening in the church. And James tells us that it's because we have desires and we demand others to meet them. And we're looking to others to give us, but we're not getting it to them, from them. We're not getting these things that we desire from others. And so we covet. We become envious. We become prideful. And this is obviously a public problem, right? Like James isn't talking about this situation that's happening uh, between these two people in this home over here. James is addressing this in a public fashion, in a public letter. James is addressing something that's publicly causing disruption within the church. Much like Jesus is addressing this judgment, this propensity to judge others by a stricter uh, measuring stick than we're willing to judge ourselves and then punish other people according to that, James is saying we're walking around doing that. We're not getting what we want. And then as a result, we're like trying to poke at each other's specks in each other's eyes. It's like, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm envious. So I'm looking for specks in your eyes. And Jesus would say, all the meanwhile, you're doing that and it's blinding you to the reality that you've got a plank in your own eye. You've got massive character problems. And he goes, there's this angst in us that we're not getting what we want from other people. So we judge other people. So there's the crisis, this stirring, this commotion, this struggle, this relational tension, this very real situation in this church. And last week, Jesus addressed these relational tensions. And here, James shows us uh, what they can look like. But now James tells us why this is happening. So my mind would go towards other things as to why this is happening. But James actually takes us in another direction that I would be most natural to solve. James says, it's because we're going to other people, desiring things from them rather than going to our heavenly father. We're taking our wants and our desires, some of them good, maybe some of them disordered, and we're going to other people rather than asking our heavenly father for them. And he says, there's a couple of reasons why you're not doing that. Look at the next verse, verse two. There's two dangers for why we're going to others rather than to God. And one danger is, verse two, he says, you have not because you ask not. The first danger I would say is not asking at all. What would make you not ask? There's a danger in not asking because you view your heavenly father as like this stingy kind of ill-tempered father. This father that um, for one reason or another, you feel like if you ask him of anything, you're just gonna have to deal with another meaningless trial. Perhaps you've walked through something hard. You believe the best course of action would have been to not experience it at all. Like if you were God, you just wouldn't have had yourself walk through that thing. Why on earth would God dish this out on you? Sometimes this can lead to like this belief and this delusion that our heavenly father extracts some like malicious enjoyment out of watching us squirm a little bit as we navigate these problems. Of course, none of us in this room would say that of God, right? However, however, the lack of prayer in our lives as we navigate those hard seasons reveals that we're not too thoroughly convinced of God's goodness and the love that he has for us. But there is a second danger. James says, the second danger is asking selfishly. You ask, verse three, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. If you see your father as like this extravagant God who gives freely, but he's pretty thoughtless, 
Like he's not really wise. He doesn't know what's really good for you. If you view him in this way, then you run the danger of approaching him with arrogance. And in that relationship, you come to him and you kind of treat him like this cosmic butler. You typically only talk to him when you have your next demand. Do your prayers only sound like you going to him and asking him for what you want? Do your prayers only sound like you coming to him to get you out of jams? How you see your heavenly father completely affects the way that you come to him. Now, Jesus wants to invite us into a third way of viewing our heavenly father. Look at verse nine. Flip back to Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna look at verse nine. Jesus says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now there's similarities and differences between our heavenly father and our earthly father. The Bible repeatedly draws attention to both of these. First, the difference. Jesus says that our earthly fathers are evil. Did you catch that? It's like, what a stinging review. It's like, couldn't have been a little softer there. Like we're weak, we're broken, we make mistakes. Even sinful would have been softer than saying evil, right? But make no mistake, Jesus makes it clear to us about his belief in the universal sinfulness of humanity. We are utterly lost and broken and evil without him. Jesus is very bluntly saying, God is always better than your earthly father. He is always better because our earthly fathers are evil and God isn't. God is categorically different than your earthly father in that respect. Don't ever limit the understanding of your heavenly father to your experiences with your own father. Rather be encouraged that God is not like them. He does not sin. He doesn't have limitations or weaknesses. He doesn't have the hangups that you get hung up about your earthly father. He has none of those. But here's how they're similar. Even that evil father of yours, even me, even your father knows how to give good gifts to their sons to their children. Even a fallen, sinful father usually has enough common grace and common decency to give good things to their kids. Yeah, there are fathers. Of course, there's horrible situations. There are abusive situations, but by and large, most places and most homes around the world, fathers are eager to provide good gifts for their children and to provide a life that serves them and blesses them, right? But if that's true of earthly fathers, how much more your heavenly father. You see that in the text? How much more? The point is infinitely, infinitely more your heavenly father. If our human fathers by God's standard of perfect righteousness can only be described by Jesus as evil, know how much he loves you. Know how much he loves you much more than them. Your earthly fathers described as evil know how to love you, know how to work for you, know how to give good things to you. How much more will God? God is way better than your earthly father. He's way better than that. How exactly? Because he only gives good things. (laughs) Do you see that? It's like, it's so simple. He 
only gives you good things. Your heavenly father is gentle, he is kind, he is firm. We do not have to fear asking him. We can enjoy the fact that he isn't going to give us something that, that we want that actually would do us harm. He doesn't give serpents, even if you ask for them. He doesn't give out serpents. Many of you have walked through difficult and tragic and very hard circumstances. You may look back on them and say, I didn't ask for that. Like I didn't want that. I would never want that. And I do not see what God is doing. Like I've been asking him, I've been going to him and I still don't know why he would give that to me. I would never choose to have that. And maybe you're still asking and you're still seeking and you're still knocking. And I think that we can borrow, I think we can borrow some experience from other circumstances you've lived in order to sure up some trust and to give you some perseverance in those places. Because there are other situations in your life, no doubt if you've lived enough life that have been insanely and intensely difficult and hard. And you look back on those and say to yourself, I didn't ask for that. Like I, I would never choose to do that again. I didn't want that. I never chose that. But that was a season that I sought God. I, I looked for him and I found him. He proved to be ready to help me in a desperate situation. I, I may have had to repeatedly knock and come before him over and over. I was confused, I was perplexed, I was hurting, but I came to him over and over and he didn't leave me as an orphan. He met me there. Like he walked through that difficult season with me because he wanted me to come and seek him out. He wanted me to come and pursue him and he heard me. He heard me, he answered my prayers. He grew me and he changed me there. Like he gave gifts to me there. I would never choose to go back, but man, I would never give up those gifts that he gave me in that season. He desired to make my heart more pure, to make my heart more uh, meek, more settled on him than my own reputation and my own agenda and what I thought I wanted and needed. He sobered me up to the reality of my sin. He did that so I could experience my weakness and my need and my inadequacy so I could turn to him and experience his grace and his love and his mercy. He did that. He did that to make me more into the person that embodies his values, his kingdom. I'm not the person I am today unless God gave that to me and carried me through it. It is a grace and it is a mercy that you do not always get what you ask for. If we got everything we wanted when we asked for it, we would sidestep all the struggles. We would avoid all the hard stuff of life. We would never walk through anything uncomfortable, but of course there would be no need to go to him. Of course, there would be no need for the relationship, no growth, no change, no living a part of his kingdom. You would live a withdrawn life. You would live a withdrawn life, wanting nothing bad to happen to you, wanting nothing bad to happen to anyone else. We would be withdrawn into a world of not trying, like trying to avoid offending anyone, right? But that's not what Jesus came to do. That, that's not part of his kingdom. He came to bring his kingdom and is calling us to live it and express it anywhere and everywhere. This is why Jesus ends his sermon with this saying. Look at verse 12. You know this saying by heart. 
Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. See, there are similar sayings going around in Jesus's day. Similar sayings that would take this idea, but put it kind of in the negative. They, they would say things like, um, hey, if you don't want something bad to happen to you, uh, don't do something bad to, so- to someone else. Like, just don't do bad things to other people so nothing bad happens to you. And Jesus takes this popular rule and instead gives it a proactive and positive form of the rule. And the differences are profound. The differences are life-changing. They've heard, hey, if you don't wanna be robbed, don't rob somebody. Hey, if you don't, wanna, if you don't want someone to be a jerk to you, don't be a jerk to someone. Hey, if, if you don't like it when someone hits you, then stop hitting people. That's what they've heard. But Jesus is saying, do you enjoy it when you are loved by others? Go everywhere you go and love people. Everywhere you find yourself, express the love of the Father in every environment you find yourself. Do you appreciate it when others give things to you? Hey, look for more and more and more opportunities to give freely and give generously to everyone around you. Do you love it when others speak well of you? Go, let your words be saturated by blessing and honor. Give blessing and appreciation to other people. Hey, this is known as the golden rule, but the way Jesus frames it is like a golden vision for your life. Like it encompasses everything that he said into this point. All the laws, all the promises, all the commands that he's walked through these last few months can all be summarized in this one phrase to take up his law, to take up his rule, to take up his call and to make this a vision of your life, the good life, to spread his love and his kingdom everywhere you go in all of your life to everything. Following Jesus means that there's no withdrawing into a world where I offend no one, but accomplish no positive good. What would it look like for you to live out this vision? What would it look like to live this out? What do you want done to you? What would you really like done to you? Then do that to others and duplicate it over and over and over and over and take his kingdom into all the realms of your life. Do you want to live this golden vision? Do you desire to advance the kingdom here and now? Then it's inextricably tied to that vision to carry out his vision here. Now, I wanna draw us to Um, this feels like a pivot, but it's not. If your desire is to express that vision in your life, you must see that it's inextricably tied to how you see your heavenly father. It's impossible to carry that out. Like Jesus even answered that when his disciples came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself but our only hope to love our neighbors as ourselves is to be connected to him, that our whole life be oriented to him, that we would be dependent on him, that we would come to him over and over and over, and that would spill out, that his kingdom would spill out of us into the way we treated others. Man, that's our hope. Our hope is to be connected to him because we don't have it in ourselves to be that loving. We don't have it in ourselves to be that consistent. We don't have it in ourselves to be that uh, self-giving. 
but he is. He is that loving. He is that self-giving. And that's most visibly seen when we come and take communion. Jesus, the one who's teaching this truth, would live it out perfectly. He would live a perfect, sinless life. He would actually follow all the rules and all the commands that he communicates to us in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he would go to the cross and die. He would give himself up fully. He would spill out his blood because we couldn't live up to it. Jesus isn't like Jesus isn't just orienting us to the Father to come to, but orienting us to himself as um, that we need a savior. Man, if that's your hope, if, that's, if, you, if you see that this morning as your need and that you see that you must come to him to express this, then we invite you to come and take communion. Uh, the way we take communion is we tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We have wine in the stoneware and uh, juice in the glassware. And uh, we also have an allergy-free option to my right. <clears throat> Servers can go ahead and come. I want to pray for us as we consider that. So if you see Jesus as your only hope to be made right with God and your only way to actually carry out his ethic to love and to... Um, to carry out this ethic to all the world and to express that love to others, then we invite you to come and take communion with us. Um, if you don't believe that, if you don't see yourself in that way, then we ask you to stay in your seat um, and pray that over. We have some prayers and a card in your seat back as well. Let me pray for us. So Father God, <clears throat> would you meet with us this morning? God, I pray that um, as we consider your words, I pray that you would lavish us right now with the reality that you, that you are ready. You are ready to respond. You are, you hear us, you are here now. You are ready to lavish us with good gifts. So God, I pray that we would come to you now and ask you for what we most need. The places in our lives where we um, perpetually find ourselves stuck, the places where we feel um, uh, in need, at loss. God, I pray that you would meet us there and supply for us everything that we need. I pray that in your name, amen.